Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. Around here, we love talking about movies that we watch, rewatch, and watch again because they're just that good. It's the thoughtful details, the little things other movies don't have that keep us coming back. But when it comes to insurance, we can't get enough of State Farm. They have all the details we appreciate that make insurance easy. Monitor your coverage, pay your bill, even file a claim through their app, which was awarded Best Insurance Mobile App 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that meets your individual needs versus cookie cutter coverage. Best of all, they give it to you straight. No gimmicks, no games, just guidance you can count on. It's a no-brainer. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. We are also brought to you by theringer.com, where we are still writing about sports, pop culture, a lot of nostalgia stuff this week. We blew out The Office, uh, did a whole bunch of things on that. New movies coming out, binge watch recommendations. We have it all, as well as the Ringer Podcast Network, where just this week, I'm looking, we're taping this on a Wednesday, House of Carbs, Ringer NFL Show, Ringer Dish, Against All Odds, the Ryan Rosillo Podcast, The Big Picture, The Watch, Bachelor Party, The Press Box, whole bunch of things for you. We also have JJ Reddick has a new pod coming uh, with Tommy Alter this week. So you can check all that out. We also announced today a new podcast that's in the works that's launching in April. It is called The Wire, Way Down in the Hole. It is hosted by Van Lathan and Jamel Hill. They're going to watch every episode of The Wire and do a podcast about every episode. So it's, you know, some DNA of the rewatchables, some DNA of uh, binge mode, but we are giving The Wire the respect and adulation and admiration that it deserves. So if you want to get ready for that, you can watch The Wire on HBO Go. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. It's free on that. I would also recommend the oral history that our friend Jonathan Abrams wrote about The Wire. If you want to really get ready for The Wire, why wouldn't you? There's nothing to do right now. Uh, throw yourself into that and check that out. Coming up, Rosillo and I are going to do The Karate Kid. And we're doing this because I asked everybody for donations. I was trying to raise $50,000 for the Greater Boston Food Bank, which we pulled off. One of the carrots that I waved, we would finally do The Karate Kid as a rewatchable. This podcast is as insane as you probably expected it would be. Here it is. What's the matter? Mommy not here to dress you? Karate Kid is coming up next. This is the end of the line. Telling me. Did I tell you about the pool here? For Daniel LaRusso. Is this the only pool you guys got? The future seemed far from terrific. This place is a dump. You should go back to New Jersey. Hey, I know it's hard, but we're not quitters, are we? Until he met the hey, right girl. She's beautiful. I say she's beautiful. I think she's beautiful. Is that your address? You got it. But that only angered the wrong guy. In the end, it will be in Daniel's hands. In his body. And most of all, in his mind. Concentrate, focus, hard. Remember, balance. No mercy. Columbia Pictures presents The Karate Kid. Hey, what kind of belt do you have? G.C. Penny, 
All right, Bill Simmons is here. Ryan Rossillo is here. Sadly, we're doing this remotely. I really would have loved to see your faces and reactions in the room. Not just you, but producer Craig as well. But we're going to do this remotely. It's quarantine month here in the United States and a lot of places around the world. What better time to talk about the Karate Kid? Daniel LaRusso basically quarantined from his own high school. Only one person would talk to him. This, <laughs> this, uh, this became, this is at the end of the Rocky sports movie run, which really starts with The Longest Yard in 1974. Rocky popularized it in 76. And then we just start making these sports movies in every genre leading up to the Karate Kid where they just unabashedly remade Rocky with karate with the same director as Rocky, John Avildsen. And somehow this became an iconic movie that lives on. Rosillo, what do you love about this movie the most? Uh, really that it's, it's the same premise as so many things, but I don't know why it's executed better in this one. I mean, I have some guesses, but this isn't new, you know, new guy shows up to town and for us that were taller toeheads in the 80s, like this was our cross to bear that you you would watch these movies as a young white blonde kid and go, so I'm just going to be an asshole when I grow up? Like that's <laughs> between between this, Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, and Billy Zabka, a.k.a. Johnny Lawrence, where you're just like, this is what, you know, because I was young and impressionable. I go, so wait, like in the late, in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm just going to be a jerk to everybody? Like that doesn't seem like a great, great deal. So- <laughs> It was a real awakening for me. And, uh, I, you know, I read the, I did used to do this thing. I don't know if you did it too, Bill, but like when there was a popular movie, I would actually read the book that was adapted after the movie release. So wow. I read the book too. Do you, do you, do you ever do that? Like it wasn't like this was based on this, you know, plenty of movies like just as we were talking about Matthew Modine and Vision Quest. That was a novel. Um, but this, they used to do this thing. I don't know if they do it anymore. They probably do. Where like even the, Michael Keaton Batman they came out with a book version of the movie that was to be released so as a little kid I used to read all those all the time yeah this one they made the book after the movie yeah. and the script which is always fun yeah it's look it's hard to explain 1984 pop culture to basically anybody under 35 but you know you're talking the expand the explosion of cable MTV more channels we went from 10 channels in 1979 to a bunch more channels. And this was one of the first movies that was on all the time. HBO, we actually had, when I was living with my dad in Boston, we actually had the little HBO box where you turned it on and you flipped your TV from regular TV to the HBO box. Um, I never had it for real until I was living with my mom, my stepdad in Connecticut, and we had HBO. And they weren't, they didn't have the rights to a ton of movies. So for whatever reason, the summer of 85, they're just showing Karate Kid all the time. And it's one of those movies you could jump into at any point. You know, it's a, it's a textbook rewatchable. But when you talk about uh, the plot, it's just an unassailable plot. Here's the plot. Here's the plot in one sentence. Lovable loser Daniel moves to California, feuds with moped riding karate boys, gets his butt kicked repeatedly turns to a Japanese maintenance man for guidance, learns karate, learns about life, falls in love, enters the tournament against the bullies, gets injured in the semifinals, fights his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend in the finals, and probably gets the win. The end. Like, it, it, you can't come up with a better sentence-long pitch than that, right? Uh, I always thought the Breaking Bad pitch was the best. Give me that one. 
chemistry teacher, has never smoked in his life, terminal lung cancer, was part of a company that made billions and he opted out early on. He has a handicapped son, a baby on the way, says, fuck it. He's going to cook meth because he's awesome at it. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> when somebody when somebody was asking me about like stuff I was working on and I went, well, you know, I have this one thing. Where they, and he goes, shut up, shut up, shut up. He goes, breaking bad pitch. Always think the breaking bad pitch. And the guy recited that to me and I went, wow, I got some work to do. Yeah, we. Uh, I always like, if you can describe anything in a sentence, it's probably going to work. You go to 1984. When I was writing for page two in 2004, I wrote a whole piece because it was the 20 year anniversary of 1984 about just what an unbelievable sports and pop culture year that was. Cause that was the year they finally stopped tape delaying the NBA finals. You had magic versus bird. You had the 84 Olympics, which Russia didn't, we Russia didn't show up. So America basically won everything. You had MTV taking off. You had some of the most popular artists of all time in their prime albums, you know, Michael Jackson, Prince, uh, Huey Lewis, Bruce Springsteen, you go on down the line. It was, it was just a free for all of great stuff. And then the movies that year, here are the top 10 movies of 1984. I love this. I love when you do this. Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Beverly Hills Cop, The Karate Kid. I left out Eddie Murphy on SNL, by the way. The Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Star Trek Three, Romancing the Stone, Purple Rain. And then if you want to go next five, Terms of Endearment, Splash, some movie called Grand Canyon, Tightrope, and The Natural. And then beyond that, you also had Revenge of the Nerds, Bachelor Party, The Terminator, Friday the 13th Part 4, which in my opinion was, was probably the best one. And it just keeps going and going. 16 Candles, this is when the John Hughes movies start. Uh... It's it's Scarfaces comes out at the end of 83, but really is out in 84, so on and so on. It's an incredible year. But this one was one of the ones that lived on. And when you look at like kind of the legacy of this movie, first of all, it spawns how many sequels? Three. Three sequels. One I almost in- ordered the wrong one, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so twice when I went to watch this last night, and I'm just going to be sending my expense report to you for the $3.99. Please but do. I, I, <laughs> I almost ordered it in Spanish. And then <laughs> the second time, like the preview starts up or it lets you close out. And I'm like, why? I was like, I don't remember KRS-One being the intro music to this. And I almost had the Will Smith one or the Will Smith. Jaden Smith. Uh, that would have right? been, been tough. Yeah. I actually thought about just then watching that and prepping this the whole time, seeing how long I could go. Could I have made it 30 minutes just recapping the newer version of, of the remake? But anyway, not a big deal. Um, although what? Karate Kid 3? Is that with Hillary Swank? Yeah, so we have three We have three sequels. The fourth one is Hillary Swank. Okay, so just a shout out. Right, Brookline High, because I thought that was important to get that in there. Oh, good. There was an animated series that I don't even remember in 1989. There nope. was the remake with Will Smith, Will Smith's son. And then we have the TV series sequel that they've done two seasons on YouTube that is actually excellent. It's called Cobra Kai. And that is the series that really got my son into it. So they were able to lure in this whole younger generation by not just remaking it for his generation, but actually updating the series so that it made sense with the movie. I thought how they did that was about as inventive as you could get with a YouTube series, but they took all the characters from the movie, 
they're all 35 years older and put them in this 2019-20 world, update some of the arcs. They flip it a little bit. So you start to wonder, wait a second, was Johnny Lawrence the bad guy or was or was Danielson the bad guy? They a lot of the stuff they did, I thought was uh was really smart. But let's start with Johnny Lawrence. So um probably the defining 80s movie villain. He was played by Billy Zabka, who did the 80s movie villain trilogy of Karate Kid, just one of the guys and back to school and is lights out. He's great in this movie. Rosello, I know you probably deep down are rooting for Johnny Lawrence in this movie. Are you rooting for him and against Daniel Sign? What, what is your reaction as you watch this again? Uh, initially, when I, when I first saw this movie, so I had to be like eight or nine, you know, Daniel, skinny. I was pretty skinny. I probably related to that a little bit more. But I think on maybe the first rewatch, I go, you know, this this Johnny character is making some really good points. And I'm convinced today, <laughs> as I have been for years, is that Danielson deserved almost all the beatdowns. Um, you know, you show up, you, you've been on the scene for five minutes, and you're firing on Elizabeth Shue, who's, who's Johnny's girl. And even if, like, you know, even if they're broken up, um, although one of the other guys in Cobra Kai has a great line where they're like, doesn't, didn't they break up? And they're like, she did. He didn't, <laughs> which is yeah. just awesome. Cause that like a lot of guys could probably relate to that line. Um, I just look Daniel on the first couple minutes, I, you know, I know we're talking about Johnny Lawrence here, but they show up to the new apartment, which apparently is still there. And the mom is so excited to be like, hey, look at this sunshine. Look at the palm trees. And Danny's like, ah, coconuts are going to fall on your head. And she's like, look at the sunshine. He goes, I miss the smog. And then he immediately wants to be back in Newark, New Jersey. Um, he He's kind of pushy at school. He's staring at Elizabeth Shue nonstop at the beach scenes. Yeah. And then he gets his ass kicked. That's all within like 20 minutes. And Frankie and his crew are like, this guy sucks. The one <laughs> right. of them actually has a line that says, boy, like, let's like, you have some real cool friends, Frankie, Frankie Fernandez, who, who put on Daniel, Freddie Fernandez. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Freddie, Freddie bailed on. He sold his Daniel LaRusso stock quick. So <laughs> as, as I watch this whole thing, figure out like you have to, when you move to a new town, you have to figure out the hierarchy. You can't just roll in there. Oh, and then he got kicked off the soccer team for punching a guy. And again, this is the first 19 minutes of the movie. So I, I'm very team Johnny here. I know that's where you want to go. I didn't want to distract you, but I'm, I'm setting the foundation for it. I have a lot of thoughts on the soccer tryout, which we're going to get to later. But yeah, look, the 80s villain can go really badly. Like even if you look at Karate Kid 3, Mike Barnes. Karate Kid 3 is one of the funniest movies of the past 35 years. It wasn't intended to be a comedy, but it ended up being a comedy. And Mike Barnes is like kind of the terrible version of Johnny Lawrence where it could go badly with the wrong actor, with the, with the wrong writing. And it's just, you become a self parody pretty quickly. I actually thought Johnny Lawrence, not a self parody. And even when he gives the trophy to Danielson at the end, I, it, it seems kind of believable, even though it's not, these guys are in a blood feud for the entire movie. But at the end, he's like, all right, you're right. LaRusso gives him the trophy. And I was yeah, like, that's right, unbelievable. That's no, but that's that's like the quickest. When I watch that, I go, Johnny really turned quickly there. Like he, well, he won his respect. Yeah, but you don't lose a fight. You've hated this guy for two hours. He's going after your girlfriend. And think about the all time mind fuck that one is. Is that the girl that you're still into, whose parents want you to have her instead of this weird Larusso kid? 
with yeah. a mom whose car doesn't work. You know, no offense, but I mean, those are just the way things work sometimes when it when it comes to parenting. Bill knows that. And when all of a sudden the girl that you loved or still into the whole deal and she's in the back with an injured opponent and then as as Johnny's about to be handed the trophy because Daniel can't make it to the mat, she runs out to be like, oh, hey, by the way, he's going to be good. We, we have a, like Miyagi's not only a car collector, which I can't figure out where that money's coming from, but he's also a healer. So, <laughs> you know, if you're Johnny, I don't know how he was ever supposed to win that fight because he's still clearly in love with Allie with an eye. And he's looking at this being like, this is like that part of the the story isn't developed enough. So I, the more I watch it, the more I think that Johnny was right, that Zabka was right. And he's the real hero of the movie. And it's a sad story. It's not a coming of age. It's not redemption. It's sad. So you think he should have broken the trophy over Daniel son's head? I'd just be like, hey, could you date somebody else instead of my opponent right now? <laughs> well, plus... She's on the sidelines, like right next to the mat for all the matches. I don't know what was going on there. I don't remember any other athlete having his girlfriend or wife that close to the action the entire time. Like maybe go in the stands. They give him like 20 yards. Well, remember, remember he was like, I needed her as my translator. So yeah. there's but a ref that At that, that point, you, you're in the match. I, maybe the girlfriend can go 20 yards away and sit in the first row. So Zabka... Uh, an incredible trilogy. And I don't want to sleep on his performance in just one of the guys either, which is probably the lost great eighties movie and has the nudity as a plot in probably the best way of any eighties movie. But, uh, so we have that, we have Mr. Miyagi, another fantastic character who I wrote a long time ago was a cross between Mickey from Rocky pop from the longest yard and Confucius. And I think it's really hard to explain to be, this movie's been around now 36 years. It's hard to explain the shock value of, of Pat Morita being in this movie because when I was growing up, Happy Days was the single biggest sitcom of the 70s. It was number one every single year. Everyone watched it. It had the Fonz, Rich Cunningham, and Pat Morita played Arnold, which is a character that hasn't aged that great. If you go back and watch the old Happy Days, it, he plays a lot of the uh, a lot of the worst case scenario, Asian cliches that you would see in a movie or a TV show. He owns Arnold's the place that they would all hang out. Um, and it's kind of, he was kind of like the Ken Jong of that era for, if you're going to compare him to anybody and then ends up doing Mr. Miyagi. It was shocking that he's in the movie. He gets nominated for an Oscar. All of this was, I compared it in 2002 to have Mr. Belding from saved by the bell just got nominated for an Oscar in 2005. Like that's, the shock value of that. And I, I I don't know what it would be for now. I guess maybe it would be the Butler from Jesse, the Disney show. If the Butler from Jesse just was nominated for an Oscar three years from now, hard to explain how crazy that was, but he's awesome in this movie. It, they didn't want him to be in it. Uh, was it Weintraub? Who's, who's the producer was like, no, stop it. Well, I don't want him. Not at all. And you're right. He was this, the Ken Jong thing is perfect because he was, he had like this weird, what was it? The nippy hippie. That's, that's what, that's what his name was. Like he yeah, was this comedic actor. Right. But I mean, that's, that's how he, ref, you know, uh, refers to himself in the lead up. Cause I watch a bunch of the interviews. He's like, I, they constantly are like, this is a big character. It's this sensei type dude with, with all, as you said, Confucius, like we can't have this guy doing these cliched, you know, butt of the joke, happy day stuff. Like we can't have him do this, which is a very, 
common thing in anything for anybody that's on air, whether it's scripted or non-scripted or anything, like everybody kind of goes through this where you're like, oh, well, you're good at this, but never do this. And the decision makers are always, always so afraid to be like, no, no, you're only allowed to be in that one lane because we don't want any confusion. We don't have any of these things. And then, you know, there's so many stories where it's like, just let me try to do this. And he's perfect for it. Like it's, it's one of those things where you go, I can't fathom anybody else having this character like uh, Jason Alexander. Like there was a different guy that was going to be George, who's, you know, a guy that it probably would have worked, but it just seems 20 years later, you go, no, like there's no one that could have ever done it. And the Mr. Miyagi character is another one that could have gone really wrong in the wrong hands with the wrong writing, with the wrong performance. And you know how I know that? Because it went really wrong in Karate Kid 3, which is just a flat out disturbing movie. I don't, I don't know what they were doing with that movie. It, 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 it turns into a homoerotic friendship in the third one. There's a lot of stuff going on. That's just like, what is happening? Daniel son's in his twenties only has one friend who still is this guy. He's on dates. He's bringing the date over to meet the maintenance man that it's his best friend. It's very strange. None of that matters in karate kid one. Cause they actually pulled it off. The other character who is really good is, uh, John Kreese, who was another perfect 80s movie villain. He's running an Aryan karate, karate machine. The uh, the studio is amazing. <laughs> the sign. Did you see the sign outside the studio in the street corner? Like one of the great signs of all time. And uh, and I still don't understand why they didn't open up a chain of Cobra Kai karate studios. I feel like that would have worked, right? Oh, it definitely would have worked. I mean, just the concept alone that in... And I don't really know how the geography works out because they're at the beach, but he lives in Reseda, but it's some sort of valley high school. And then when they see Elizabeth Shue and her friends and Freddie and those guys are like, hey, they're they're from the hills. I'm like, yeah, a, I feel like I feel like the school district would have been tightened up a little bit more. But that's not really a, <laughs> that's not really a huge issue. You know, I'm just I'm just pointing yeah. Well, you know, I'm you know, I've been living out here a little while. I was like, is that really that close? Like, would you really would you be at this weird beach with kids from Reseda and also girls from Beverly Hills? Like, I guess it's, everybody can go to Malibu, right? There's no laws against it. So, um, as I was, I was thinking about this concept, like imagine there being a town where a psycho Vietnam vet is like, I'm going to open up, as you said, this Aryan nation of like, (laughs) of, of, of death seekers who also are in a motorcycle gang and happen to be in high school. Like that's, that's incredible. And where do I sign up? Yeah. Well, they, I didn't realize till I moved out here, there's some geographical uh, challenges with this movie. You know, even like they go to the beach when Daniel-san meets uh, Allie and the, the moped guys show up. But you think about it, like what beach would that have been? They, they, Daniel's from Reseda. She lives in the hills, which I don't really understand. I guess maybe that's Calabasas. I, I've Ooh, never heard anybody. I've never heard anybody talk about like the hills that way. But I'm assuming that's where it is because Reseda and Calabasas are close together. But there's no beach within. You're talking 25 minutes where you could get to like Malibu, but those guys are on mopeds. So you know these these five dudes just show up on their mopeds. It's like where are they coming from? They're it's at least forty minutes from where they live. It's always it's a little ambiguous. But anyway, John Kreese, uh, Martin Cove, who is just perfectly cast as Kreese, and he's a guy who easily could have been 
in any action movie in the eighties. And in fact, he was, he was in Rambo, uh, first blood part two, but could have been in any of those things. So he's awesome. And then, uh, we got to hand it to Machio. I, you know, we'll, we'll talk later when we do casting what ifs about all the possibilities for who is going to play Danielson. There's something about him that's just perfect for the character because he is kind of annoying and you can see why all these, all these motorcycle karate dudes would be like, we just got to kick the shit out of this guy. Hey, let's, let's run him off a hill and maybe he'll tumble to his death. There has to be something annoying enough about him that it's believable, but that these guys would all go, let's just torment this guy. And, and until we break him, Right. Yeah. There's, I don't know how much you want to do here with, with this, but there, there is something so unique about him being the kind of unlikely hero. And, you know, we're kind of kidding around a little bit, but he is annoying in this. And that's different. Like, instead of being this perfect character that you're rooting for all the time, you, I guess, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, just, just chill out a little bit, man. And then he, uh, he's just, he's just not going to. So I think that New Jersey, that Italian thing, the strong mother and the mother, you know, is probably going to be mentioned for the, we, uh, for the waiters award here on this one. But, uh, that, that's just different. It was like, they, they weren't going to originally cast Larusa, and it was Daniel Weber was the name of the character, which is always kind of interesting, like going through script stuff and all the times you just be like, I just want to write a freaking name down so I can get to the rest of the script here. Cause you'll spend all this time being like, I can't name another guy, Tim Jones for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Um, and it's Daniel Weber. And then he made a joke like, Hey, you're going to have to make this, uh, you know, cause it's Ralph Macchio. Like you're going to have to figure out a way that, to, to give this kid an Italian name. So I, I do think that even though it wasn't on purpose, this Jersey strong Italian mother, his whole deal. And there is that one scene when he comes back from getting his ass kicked again after the Halloween party where he's trashing his bike, where I, that scene had never hit home with me the way it does. It, it, it might be the best back and forth dialogue. That's almost above this kind of movie where he's like, you never asked me for permission. She's like, you know, I'm right. And he's like, I just want to go home. I want to go home. That scene's incredible. And all the, the dialogue in that is, is almost like tear jerking a little bit. Cause if you're just thinking of like, okay, this high school kid, it sucks. It's not going well. Nobody likes him except apparently the hottest girl in the school, which doesn't make any sense. And you know, he's, he's basically like challenging his mom and his mom's admitting, like, I know this sucks for you right now, but like, I needed to do what I needed to do. And it's a great scene. So a little macho background. He was in a show called eight is enough, which was yet another iconic TV show from the late seventies that everybody watched. It was Dick Van Patten was the dad. He had eight kids. It's a show that they've remade in a bunch of different ways without actually giving credit to the show, but he had eight kids, his wife, the first year, ended up dying of cancer in real life. So they had to recast the part. So he ends up remarrying, has a stepmother. And right around year four, year five, the show started to get a little gamey as some of these 70s shows they were. It's starting to run out of ideas. And Machio comes in as like the, they had, they decide they had, I, I can't remember if he's a runaway or they adopted him or whatever. So that's how he became famous. And then The Outsiders happens in 1983. And that was a movie Coppola's doing it. Anything Coppola was doing back then is a massive deal. And he's making a huge, huge stink about how I'm going to find the next generation of great actors and ends up doing The Outsiders, which was a huge book, S.E. Hinton. Everybody was kind of waiting for the movie ad adaptation of it. And that movie had C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, Diane Lane, and Ralph Macchio 
who plays Johnny, who ends up dying during the movie. And it's, um, spoiler alert, but you know, a, a memorable performance. So by the time Karate Kid happens, he's the most famous person in this movie other than Pat Morita. And it's not like they pulled him out of nowhere, I guess is my point. Um, this movie had an $8 million budget. It made 91 million. I can't imagine how much money it's made since with re-airs and um, all the times it's been on all the movie channels on everywhere. Like I, I, you could tell me that it's made another 300 million. You could tell me it's made another 50 million. I, I don't know how those numbers work. This movie was really well-reviewed. Roger Ebert, four out of four stars. He said, it was an exciting, sweet-tempered, heartwarming story with one of the most interesting friendships in a long time. Roger Ebert. So, uh, so that's it. We're going to take a break and then we're going to go to the, ca- to the uh, categories because we have a lot to cover here. Hey, if you're looking for a podcast that deep dives into the coronavirus, COVID-19, facts, things you need to know, everything else, I would recommend Science Versus a podcast from our friends at Gimlet that finds out what's fact, what's not, and what's somewhere in between. They do all the hard work of sifting through all the science so you don't have to. And right now they have thrown themselves into this virus and trying to figure out what's true, what's not true. I would highly urge you to check this out. I would also highly urge you to self-quarantine and stay away from other people for the time being, if you can as long as your job allows it. Uh, listen to the experts. Listen to podcasts like Science Versus only on Gimlet. All right, most rewatchable scene. Man, there's some good choices. Let's start with the first beach fight scene. We already covered, we have no idea how the bike gang got to this beach that was at least 40 minutes away from where they lived. Also, who rides mopeds on the beach? Not sure I've ever seen that before. Assholes. Um, we have some soccer juggling from from uh Danielson that is presented as he's this forward thinking Pele type guy but if you actually have a kid who plays soccer he's doing very basic generic soccer stuff everybody's reacting like he's discovered plutonium um he <laughs> doesn't butt out Johnny comes in he's just pissed off there's some OJ Nicole kind of vibes with the whole Allie Johnny thing that aren't, aren't really explored, but are definitely uncomfortable. Comes in, breaks her radio, just throws it down. That was uncalled for. None of the, none of her friends stick up for her. And then Daniel San just waltzes over to get his ass kicked. Um, gets one good punch in. Cheap shot though. Cheap yeah, shot. Cheap shot. Johnny thought he had him. And then, uh, but you know, that's defend yourself at all times. So, Right, I can't blame I can't blame Machio for doing that. Um, but Johnny should have been ready, and and obviously his training was a little subpar. But then, uh, really, really finishes off Danielson and Freddie and his friends just immediately dump him. <laughs> it's dump. Like, That's it. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Danielson. Uh, we'll never see you again. You sure pick cool people to be friends with, Freddie. Where'd you find this guy? Come on, let's go. Good I have in my notes here. This is the scene that convinced Rosillo to start working out. When you were like eight, you were like, I'm never letting this happen to me. <laughs> uh, it took a lot longer than eight. That's for sure. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I think that that was, it was always this kind of funny thing with this, where in the very first scene, when Machio kicks open the door to their new rental property, and then he knocks over Freddie and Freddie's like, man, what was that karate? He's like, I bet you can kick some ass. And, and Machio's like, yeah, a little bit, you know, 
Not a big deal. He's like, he's like, he's like, can you teach me? He's like, yeah, sure, man. No problem. Anytime, anytime. And, you know, he does have this, we keep getting back to this, but like there is something about LaRusso's character where it is just very different. It's, it's different than some of these, you know, other kind of, it's like even John Cusack in, in Better Off Dead kind of makes more sense. And there's, there's not like this extra layer to it, but I think that Jersey, that whole thing with him, and I'll stop repeating that part of it, but is is this movie trying to get you to believe that he's like a really good karate guy and that he's going to be able to hang with Zabka in that scene? Because we know the way a movie works. He has to lose that fight. But I just thought like, I guess they didn't want to make it that he ends up winning this tournament out of nowhere after just yeah. doing some handyman work so that there was some foundation because they show that kick. They show him looking at the book when Miyagi first goes to visit the apartment and it's like, Oh, what are you doing? He's like karate. He's like, Oh, from a book. I just always thought that was kind of a funny little lead up where you're going, are you trying to get us to believe that he has a chance in this? Or is it just that they don't want to make it seem that absurd, his ascension into the martial arts? I think they wanted to make it seem like, he thought he was hot shit, but then he obviously wasn't because he just gets annihilated by this dude wearing a Michael Jackson red jacket, whatever. The, that jacket was in for, I would say, nine months max and then I immediately was never worn again. There also, uh, this is Elizabeth Shue's first scene. And when you're talking about like the Mount Rushmore 80s movies, babes, she's got to be mentioned. It, you know, you're talking Kelly Preston, Elizabeth Shue. Um, Apollonia and Purple Rain. It was a, there was a nice little run here just in general for people I had a massive crush on when I was a teenager. And and she's right there. And it and it pays off, you know, later on. She's in a bunch of stuff and then ends up winning an Oscar. But um, this scene's really good. Good start to the movie, sets it up. The next rewatchable scene I have is the Halloween fight scene, which yet again, another terrible career move by Daniel LaRusso. Um, I, I'm not sure why he thought this was all going to work out. Like putting a hose over Johnny Lawrence as he's taking a dump and smoking a joint. Was he taking a dump? Do we know for no, sure? No, I think he was just, just smoking a joint. It. Okay. Whatever yeah, he, was he was doing there. For a guy that smokes weed, he was pretty intense. Yeah. He was really trying to roll it. So he does. And that. he had a Walkman on too, which is a weird move. Like, don't you think you want to be listening to people if you were at a high school rolling a joint? And yeah, like, like a teacher coming. Yeah, 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 he didn't care. He no, he's Johnny he Lawrence. He's not he afraid of anybody. Yeah, tunes are tunes. So terrible game plan by Daniel Son. I don't, I don't understand how he feels like he's going to win that one. Especially he runs. What do you think? Like a five five forty. He's so slow in that scene, trying to get to that second fence. Like I slow jumped legs. out of me. And, yeah, like get him up and down, and then those other kids just seized on him that was like a fullback picking up a fumble or something <laughs> he's he looks like he's an animal kingdom just getting chased down by the cheetahs uh great 80s song during that whatever that 80s song is where it's like danger, danger! It's, it's really one of the only two-year stretches you could have played that song in a movie and then uh <laughs> and you have them just kicking the shit out of him. You have the leave him alone. He's had enough. No, no mercy. Johnny, leave him alone, man. He's had enough. I'm strike, but he's had enough, man. What is wrong with you, Johnny? The enemy deserves no mercy. Right, right, right. I'll decide when he's had enough, man. <laughs> that's, then, that's one of the best lines ever. I'll decide when he's had enough, man. This kid's in high school. <laughs> they're, they're literally killing Danielson. And then Miyagi goes hero ball. He's Kobe 2006. He's just like, I got this. 
I'm taking out everybody. I'm taking out all five of you. Um, it's unclear whether some of those chops really would have incapacitated somebody where you're just like basically unconscious because somebody gave you a quick chop to the breastbone. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, I noticed it immediately. I mean, there's a double punch there where you're like, why did the two guys stand perfectly? But again, we're doing that thing where, you know, it's it's an 80s movie. Like, of course, he was going to have to throw a double punch where two guys barreled over. But on yeah. the finishing move to Johnny, where Johnny's feet, and we'll get to his footwork later because Zabka is just a magician out there. He's great. Um, he's unbelievable. Like, watching it again, you're like, this kid must have been a sick athlete. So shout yeah. out again. But when he's kind of getting ready to throw some kicks and he's switching up his feet, um, yeah, Miyagi gets him flipped over, sort of just an arm toss, and then he kind of finishes him with just a, a slap on the on the tummy. I don't know. Not, not Johnny Lawrence wouldn't go down that way. Not the guy I know. Yeah, I was disappointed in him too. There's a little Easter egg in this. Um, this is from an oral history that Sports Illustrated did. Macchio said they filmed this scene at four in the morning. Billy, meaning William Zabka, Billy was supposed to fake a front roundhouse and he just nailed me right in the jaw. You'd have thought I would have gotten hurt more. I was thrown all over the place. And then Zapka says, he leaned into it. It wasn't my fault. Um, but in the movie, in the movie, when Zapka nails him, he actually really does nail him. That's that's not like a movie chicanery. He gets he gets nailed by that one. So that scene's great. Next one, most rewatchable. Miyagi goes to see Crease. Just some incredible crease here. Also, my son noticed something because he demand. First of all, shout out to my son for demanding we did this as a rewatchables. We watched this day two of the quarantine on Saturday. He wanted to watch it. He had just banged out Cobra Kai again. He's like, we're watching Karate Kid and I want you to do a rewatchables about it. I'm like, all right. So when we were watching this scene, there's a guy doing knuckle push-ups on the left side who's- 60 of them. Yeah, Crease gets mad at somebody, tells him, during the whole scene, he's doing these knuckle push-ups and you figure they've probably filmed, what, 20, 25 takes of the scene. So shout out to the knuckle push-up guy. But uh, there's some really good crease in this scene. My favorite line is, no one touches the prima donna until after the tournament. Great stuff. What else do you like about this scene? By the way, in that scene, Elizabeth Shue is not in that scene, but her brother from yeah, Melrose, Melrose Place. Place. Andrew, Andrew Shue is one of the other Cobra Kai in that scene that you don't hear from. As is Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds. Lamar had an incredible run. I didn't like Lamar's chances just based on Lamar knowledge rewatching it. Because <laughs> uh, Daniel ends up taking him out in the tournament a little bit later. And yeah. So that one's just tough. It was tough to like reverse engineer believing that Lamar was a really tough member of Cobra, <laughs> Cobra Kai after the first Revenge of the Nerds. I'm just, you know, it's kind of like the opposite of what happened at Pamarita. So, you know, when Kreese apparently like that's, he was he was very much um I don't know if you have to be a big time method actor where you just go Daniel Day Lewis where you're that guy for months around the set when you don't have that many lines, but apparently like that was Crease's deal. And uh he wasn't really a black belt though. There's only three real black belts in the entire movie. True. He was not one of them. Yeah. Also, great shot of the All Valley Karate Championships poster in this scene, which you can find on eBay. I do not own it. How do you not have that? Well, it's I, I would get it if it was the original one. I would go all in. I'd be like, I'm just getting this. If it was like the actual one from the movie, people have reproduced it. Not hard to reproduce. It wasn't the most, it wasn't like a Leroy <laughs> Neiman painting. It was <laughs> no, no, just some graphics. Uh, be a good t-shirt. Yeah, you can find it on uh, on eBay. Next rewatchable scene. 
when after Daniel works on Miyagi's house for 10 minutes of the movie, he's just remodeling his house basically and finally gets frustrated and Miyagi goes, confronts him and then does the show me sand the floor. Show me wax on, wax off. Show me paint the fence. Now show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Concentrate. Look in my eye. Oh, it wasn't just about Miyagi getting his house remodeled. He's actually teaching these kids karate moves. This is a ridiculous scene, and I still enjoy it. It was really long. I don't. I think it's longer than ten minutes, Bill, because that would be something. And again, these guys were all established enough, believe it or not. Like you're good to point out here. Like not only are we talking director, but so many elements of this this movie. Like you can just get away with different things. But I don't know if a first time guy would have been able to say, yeah, like in the middle of the movie, it's going to kind of have this dragging maintenance part <laughs> where it's going to feel right. like an HGTV episode, and. I cannot emphasize this enough, but being young after that movie and the amount of time guys said wax on, wax off to each other in class was in in the thousands. Yeah. Like guys were saying it for years afterwards. Wax on, wax off. And they were like practicing the different moves. So a little bit like how 11-year-olds wanted to become fighter pilots at Top Gun. I wouldn't say there was a ton of kids like hoping to do chores, but um, it was just, it, that was a... That was one of those every single person was conscious of what the term wax on, wax off meant. Yeah, I agree. Next scene, the country club scene. I, this isn't technically one of the five most rewatchable scenes of the movie, but there's some great stuff in here. Um, at this point, it's just unclear why Allie would ever want to date Daniel in a million years. He's, he's not popular. He's kind of gawky. Uh, he's, he's being terrorized by these moped karate bullies. Her friends don't like him. Uh, he comes from a different economic background than her. He's, he doesn't have a car. And when he does come to pick her up for a date, it's with his mom and they have to like push the car to get it started and the whole thing. And she has like the snottiest parents of all time. They're like a cliche of a cliche of a cliche of the first time we see them they're coming back from playing tennis and they're dressed in these tennis country club outfits that probably nobody has worn ever. Um, and just super judgmental and snobby. So then that all leads to the country club scene where he shows up there. He's dressed like a maitre d' for some reason. I don't know what he's wearing. And Zabka plants one on her after he sees her, after he sees Danielson, and he starts backpedaling, crashes into the waiter. Spaghetti goes all over him. And then everybody starts laughing. They're all laughing at him. It, it's it's really like the ultimate rich people are evil scene. And I, it, it has no place in the movie. It's ridiculous. I just want to know, is there any scenario where an entire, an entire country club dining room of people would laugh hysterically because somebody bumped into a waiter who was holding a thing of spaghetti? Are people that evil or am I misreading this? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the other part of this is that the hero the redemption of the bumbling idiot. I mean, because it's constantly happening with him. And there's even other scenes that they cut out where like he was embarrassed where he sat down on a piece of blueberry pie. And they must have been like, okay, we have him sitting on pie. We have him face planting in the spaghetti. We don't need both, you know? So like, let's keep the spaghetti scene in. Side note, <laughs> yeah. the spaghetti shot after he like bumps into the waiter and then we see everyone laughing and then back to him. It's like they painted him with spaghetti sauce. 
his, there's no way anybody would be that covered. Like they overdid that. The CGI on that was a little too intense. Um, I, I guess they're just trying to sell like Daniel's Daniel's struggle. I don't know. But then they also had to kind of lead up to where he's he's basically not only is he a jerk for a lot of times and his jokes aren't funny and he's kind of cheesy and he reminds me a little bit like Serpico. Remember when Serpico has that dating phase in that movie and every scene of him talking to that girl is like painful. Yeah. She's like, what are, yeah, what are you? Hey, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lion tamer. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my Christ. It, like, it's just, it's painful to listen to him. Like, I know when I'm really thrown off when I, ha- when I'm like uncomfortable watching a movie or TV show, when a guy's hitting on a girl, like, I don't know why I still get uncomfortable about that, but I do. And Daniel has a lot of that stuff in him where it's just not funny. And, um, I, I do think it's amazing that there are multiple times where he kind of is telling the hottest girl in high school off that likes him. Like you have no other options. Your best friend's a 70 year old Japanese guy or Okinawa. And you are like putting yourself in this position to what stick up for yourself or be righteous and somehow. And, and he, they keep having like, once they make it through the whole thing, I have in my notes, that couple fought like hell. They fought oh, for yeah. each other. So yeah, I'm with you. The next rewatchable scene, Daniel's training scene when, uh, the music's really great in this movie, and I'm just going to play it quickly here. Daniel on the pier practicing kicks, and then it kind of kicks in here. Now he's on the boat. It's just great that the shadow of Daniel's son working out. Really great stuff. High level for uh, for the nineteen uh, mid-1980s. And then it kicks in one more time here. It's great stuff. <laughs> great stuff. Kudos to the filmmakers. Um, and then finally, this is gonna be my pick. I'm just I'm just spoiling it now. The you're the best montage. He has his first fight, his girlfriend and and his 70-year-old maintenance man best friend are flanking him by his side like his Bundini Brown and uh, has his first fight. He he backpedals out of the ring twice, gets a warning because he's that much of a puss and then finally gives Don't some clicks. basic fist thing and I don't know who he's fighting or why that guy was even in a tournament but the guy's terrible. Beats him and you hear Ali go, you're the best and then it just kicks into Joe Esposito's you're the best and that leads to, in my opinion, it's between this and the beginning of Rocky three eye of the tiger as single best movies, music montages, which is ironic because this was supposed to be the song originally in Rocky three and Stallone flipped and went with survivors. Eye of the tiger. This was the other one. This is a fantastic sequence. If it's on television, I'm watching it. I'm stopping everything. I've seen it 700,000 times. I'd watch it again right now. It's fantastic. And when you watch the rehearsals, you can realize why this was was so good. They said they had like six different cameras on this and that they basically treated it as if it were, in Machio says in an interview, curtain to curtain, where they go, it was live theater. We had real people in the stands cheering. Um, there were some actual like karate students around. Uh, Zap, because like my mom was out there and they were booing me and she was getting upset. And you're like, hey, mom, relax. Right. And I, I really think this is a credit to the director and his vision for the scene and all the different angles and options they had on the final edit, but it really comes together great. It really does. And 
the music is cheesy, but it should be cheesy in that moment because we were all really cheesy in 1984. The Rocky part is amazing when I found that out this morning because that's what it was supposed to be. But it was also in play to be the theme song to Flashdance, and they went with Maniac instead. So this song was also in the mix to be the theme song for two of the other more iconic movies that are song movies. Because uh, Rocky, that Eye of the Tiger stuff, like you don't even understand what kind of deal that was. Like, dudes, stop. Dudes had like cassette recorders, and they were putting it next to like an AM FM radio and like recording it. That's how we used to do it. And then you'd replay it with the ads and everything, and think you were killing it because you had it on tape. Um, that that scene's great. The scene's great. And the ref Pat Johnson, who's one of the actual black belts, and then um, I I don't know how much more you want to do on on some of the other things that happened in that scene. But I think that ref, who's like a real black belt instructor official, he brings this level of intensity to it that works because you go, that's exactly what you would expect. Like none of those things, the MC, the ref, and I think all of these kids are are really athletic and they. They did a good job. They did a really good job making this thing kind of like Vision Quest where you go, yes, I'm sure if you're like a badass martial artist, you think it's a bunch of kids that look like idiots, but it didn't stand out as bad as it could have been or other movies have been with these kinds of scenes. They shot it at Cal State Northridge in a basketball stadium that's called the Matadome, and they decided um, they would actually make a real tournament. They had it. This was an actual tournament. It wasn't like just a movie, as you said. They had 500 to 1,000 people in the stands. They had a couple hundred people participated in the tournament. And that's why it seems kind of chaotic. There's multiple things going. It seems like you're capturing almost like a reality show with Danielson in there doing the thing. It's really effective. And and I got to say for the mid-80s, pretty, pretty ingenious how they did it. And then I, I, I'm going to save this for later, but... LaRusso Dutch, I have a lot of thoughts about that matchup, but we'll save that for uh, a little bit later. The last rewatchable scene, I mean, basically from the moment he has his first fight all the way to the end, this, this you could say the whole stretch is the most rewatchable. It's, it's an unassailable last 20 minutes. But from the moment he asked Mr. Miyagi to help him out. Well, can you fix my leg? I mean, with that thing you do? After the semifinals to Miyagi clapping his hands and rubbing them together. And then Johnny's about to get the trophy. Allie runs out. He said, wait, what? Daniel LaRusso is going to fight? Daniel LaRusso is going to fight! And then the the guy who we're going to get to later goes, Daniel LaRusso is going to fight! And then all the way to the end, then we have... Sweep that we have sweeped the leg in there. We have get him a body bag. We have a scoring penalties debacle. We're going to get to later. We have Crease screaming, finish him as the music's building, the crane kick, and then uh, the trophy presentation and the ending. All of it's tremendous. What would you go with for most rewatchable between those two scenes? Or would you go with something else? I, I, I love when they get him kicked off the soccer team. <laughs> Let's go. This school sucks. I shut out of here. Sucks. So like, who's this? Oh, the new kid moved here. He thinks he's going to make the team. He thinks he's going to be good. Like, all right, whatever. And then <laughs> they size him up. They size him up pretty quickly. Like, oh, cool, cool dribbling drills. You know, on the uh, on the beach or juggling drills. We're just we're going to work this. And you know, he look, he sucker punched. Well, he didn't really sucker punch another guy. You know, the, the guy that went out. He, he tackled him. He got up, punched him. And then um, he gets thrown off the team immediately. And things didn't, 
Yeah, I don't know why I like that scene so much, but they just you just know what's on. Like new guys fucked in this one. I was gonna save these thoughts for later, but I'll just do them now. The slide tackle was pretty vicious. And I thought Danielson was correct to jump the guy after and throw a punch. I don't know why the coach sided with the guy who did the slide tackle that could have absolutely taken out Danielson's ACL. It was like it was like the coach didn't like him either. He's just like, This guy's a clown. Get this fucking guy off the team. Guy from Jersey. I want him out. I uh, I'm going with you're the best as most rewatchable. Hey, let's take a quick break to talk about the Feeding America Network, the nation's largest domestic hunger relief organization working to connect people with food and end hunger. Donors, staff, volunteers, they all play an important role in their efforts to end hunger in the United States. It's also a great place if you go to feedingamerica.org, you can find local food banks, I think in almost 200 locations across America. When we did uh, the Greater Boston Food Bank Drive, this is how I found out where that food bank was on feedingamerica.org. If you donate to them now, they can distribute money and food to people that need it in all the locations across America. We need these guys more than ever and ladies and people. So please check out feedingamerica.org. Don't be afraid to donate. And if you want to donate to the uh, to the Greater Boston Food Bank, just look it up there and do it. Uh, thanks for everybody again who supported the Greater Boston Food Bank, and helped make this pod possible. Back to the pod. What's aged the best in no particular order? Really good 80s soundtrack. The Cruel Summer, which we just talked about with that soccer scene. Everything, the music's perfect. Cruel Summer is a song that has popped up a lot in different 80s type of things. And when you hear it, you feel like you're in the 80s. That Danger song we mentioned earlier, uh, there was the the date montage where it's like young hearts beat fast. Like the eighties had these songs that really had no depth at all. It was like I'm in love, young hearts beat fast. Like really, like almost like cavemen were writing the eighties love songs. And then uh, you're the best. Really good soundtrack. Um, I think what's the matter, mommy? Not here to dress you is the greatest movie insult ever. Well, well, well. Look what we have here, fellas. Our little. Oh, Danielle. What's the matter? Mommy not here to dress you? I'm willing to hear other opinions, but it's got everything. He says it with such disdain. He brings in Daniel-san's mom. Uh, he's making fun of how he's dressed. It's the triple crown of great insults. You agree or disagree? Yeah, because I don't know who the hell was dressing Machio this entire movie. The very opening scene, he actually has like mom jeans on. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like, I think he's wearing his mom's jeans. They're they're right up they ride up so high. I don't even like them on you know girls that wear them now. They're like, oh cool, these are my mom jeans. I, I don't understand that thing coming back at all. Me uh, neither. Larusa's wearing those, and then he's got some high waisted camo pants there for a little while. So it's like, wait a minute, are you going to be camo pant guy at this school? Because if you're <laughs> if you're high school kid wearing camo to school, you just you just put an entire label on yourself, you know, like there's just, it's a different, I know camo is pretty popular now, so it doesn't really matter as much. But if you, back then, if you were going to go some sort of fatigues during class, then you kind of were telling on yourself how weird you were. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's a really good line. There's also a sneaky line in your most rewatchable scene where all the things flying around. Because I still think putting him in a body bag is hilarious. And, you know, yeah. college lacrosse games, you would just yell, put him in a body bag. And it always gets you a couple of chuckles. It was a really high efficiency kind of heckle that you could throw out there. But yeah. somebody in the crowd, and I don't know if it was an extra, yells, you're a cupcake, Johnny. Which was a real spin because you go, mm. wait a minute, somebody's making fun of Johnny as Crease is looking at his bloody nose. Somebody in the crowd yells out and makes fun of Johnny. And I don't know wow. if that was that if that was on purpose or somebody just did it because it was funny that there was like, oh, yeah, you know what? There would be a lot of people rooting against Johnny and Cobra Kai because these guys have terrorized the town. Defending champ. Um, yeah, two-time defending champ. Yeah. Uh, the Cobra Kai, everything about this, like... It was, it was, who was the writer of it? His name was Steven something. Robert Mark Kamen. Not even close. The, <laughs> Cobra Kai, the whole, uh, first of all, calling it Cobra Kai, having the snake really inspired, but then the whole strike first, strike hard, no mercy mentality, which I had a friend who I'm not going to name who gotten, uh, gotten some bar fights in his day and his philosophy was, if this is going to escalate, I'm getting the first punch in. And he would just, you know, if right before it seemed like it was going to about to be a fight, he would just throw a punch. That was basically the Cobra Kai mentality. It, it's not, it's not great, but it works if you're trying to do what you're trying to do here. Yeah. No, it's the best way to win because most people are just going to run around and, and yell at each other and nobody really wants to do anything. And the guy that actually wants to fight, which is usually the quiet guy, those guys usually win way more <laughs> fights. You know, they're like, okay, yeah. you guys all going to yell and get chesty and say, what town are you from? And all this different stuff or meet me outside or you're dead. And you're like, okay, we're like, all right, now I'm actually just going to punch one of you guys. And so that guy kind of has it figured out. Another what's age the best. So in the semifinals, Daniel San gets kicked in the knee. And I guess... I guess tears of meniscus or whatever happens to him with the cheap shot. But the other semifinal match doesn't get enough, in my opinion, attention, acclaim. I don't think it's on TV enough. It's definitely not on NBA Greatest Games enough. Uh, Johnny versus Vidal. Vidal is the guy, he's he's Asian. He you see him of he's wearing the all white, uh, the long, the long white karate suit, and he's doing all kinds of moves throughout the tournament. And if you're really watching this movie carefully for the 700, 750th time, Vidal just looks like he's fucking awesome. Like he, out of all these guys, he knows what he's doing the most. As it turns out doing the research, he was actually one of the people who gave the karate intel. He was Miyagi's double for the faraway scenes of Miyagi um, pretending to do the crane kick on the pier, all that stuff. And Johnny demolishes him. This is a 3-0 landslide after the second one like Vidal's just down the the ref's like are you all right Daryl and he's like yeah, yeah I'm okay gets up and Johnny finishes him off it's a demolition and, and it is like if you're talking about Johnny as one of the greats in in sports movies which we should this is his this is his apex mountain right here right yeah but it's kind of like the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead you know after the fact <laughs> so that's that's the part because he destroys <laughs> Vidal, um, who is one of the three black belts on this. He's still an instructor in, uh, is it Marietta? Yeah. California. Yep. Yeah. So I was just looking at him this morning. He's still 
killing it. And he's so much better than everybody else. Like you right. can just see how crisp he is, how technical he is. He, these spinning back kicks are all over the place. And then Johnny just wipes him up. I still think for the sake of the movie, but this is where somebody would differ with me is that should have been a, a closer fight. It should have been a little bit more back and forth, but then you can't have that fight be that much more suspenseful than the main fight. And then if you want to really sell the idea of what a badass Johnny is, have him take out the other guy that's looked like he's better than everybody else and have him take him out three Oh, so I can kind of understand like, Hey, whatever, dude, it's a movie. We were doing this. One of my favorite things I've never noticed before is that when Johnny's watching Vidal fight before he fights him, he's standing next to Crease. Yeah. And you can read his lips and he goes, He's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I rewound it like him. Yeah, like he's murdering everyone at this tournament. It's not even that close. <laughs> and like just just all blonde, tall Billy Zabka turns to his instructors, like, eh, not even that good. Another one sage the best, the music by Bill Conti, which mentioned earlier. Um the uh, the decision not to use the original ending, which if you've seen Karate Kid 2, which I hope you have out there, the first scene in Karate Kid 2 is the original ending to Karate Kid when Kreese is furious at Johnny for the second place trophy, breaks it, he punches him. It's, it's a whole mute, Cobra Kai mutiny, basically. And then he gets into it, Miyagi, punches two windows, hands bleeding. Miyagi twists his nose, he falls over. That was supposed to be the end of this movie. What a great decision to end it the way they ended it with everyone celebrating with Daniel-san then him looking over at Miyagi. By the way, don't forget about Freddie and his friends back in on Daniel-san after the ending. They're they're the first ones celebrating. It's like, where were you fucking, where were you guys for an hour and a half? <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, I've been out here eating lunches by myself, getting my ass kicked every <laughs> yeah. two weeks. And now, now I'm back. <laughs> you <laughs> front runners. <laughs> uh, it was like when the Lakers signed LeBron. You know, right. <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, what? Who are uh, all these people? And then uh, another one stage the best, the golf and stuff where they have a couple dates. That was like your dream place to go in the 80s because... I, as I've mentioned a million times, not a lot of stuff to do in the eighties, but you had a place like that with video games, miniature golf, some cars, everyone's just going there. And it's a location for a bunch of different eighties movies, um, leads to the movie date montage, which is really the standard eighties movie date montage. This is located in Norwalk. I'm not sure if it's still there, but, uh, at the time in the day, it was in Norwalk, which is about 35 minutes away from LA. Two more, what's age the best. Can I jump in there real quick on the montage? Yeah. I'll make this quick. I always thought it would be awesome to kind of do a montage in a new movie that's sort of a shout to the 80s date montage, but the date is going awful, but the music doesn't match it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just silence. Just arguments and one person leaves and it's the it's like the happiest music ever. I if I ever really make it, I'm going to do that. You'll know where it's where, where the origin. Somebody sp- accidentally spills a soda on somebody else. Um, two more, the uh, Mount Rushmore of '80s pop culture moms. Mrs. Larusso is on there. I think I think she's just really likable. Hits all the right notes. Crushes uh, it. She good crushes sense it. of humor. She clearly knows there's something unlikable about Daniel, but doesn't want to admit it to herself. She's really optimistic, uh, making the best of it. Her son's just a kind of a douche and she just rolls with it. I have Lucille LaRusso up there. Here's my other three. Not that this will matter to anybody under 45, but, uh, Elise Keaton from family ties, 
Mrs. Bueller from Ferris Bueller. Be and, Arthur. Uh, and Claire, Claire Huxtable in the Cosby show. That's my, that's my top four eighties moms, uh, honorable mention, the mom from growing pains. So there you go. And then the last one, get him a body bag. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a story behind this. The guy who played, uh, who played that guy who yelled, get him Tommy? a body bag, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at him the other day. That's Rob Garrison who, uh, unfortunately passed away last year. Yeah. So he says in that sports illustrated oral history, it's my famous line. I never said that while filming. I looped it in two months later. I was in the recording booth with John Avildsen. He said he needed two seconds of something. I said, get him a got a body bag. in the first try Avildsen said, that's going to be a classic. You'll never be forgotten because of that line. And if you look at how it's spliced, you hear get him a body bag and then it cuts to him going, yeah. So he just does that part. And he was right. It became, you're talking about the great eighties movies lines where it's like, damn it, Maverick looks like the university of Illinois goes, goes on down the line. That's one of, that's one of the, one of the big ones. So what's age the best for you out of all those? Well, I love that one. Um, and I love his, his whole performance is peak every single time. Yeah. But what did not catch on as much as that line is when Elizabeth Shue is leaving with Machio after another confrontation and he screams, must be take a worm for a walk. Week. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. Tough. Did not. <laughs> not did as not good of deliver. an ad lib. No, so no. in the Cobra Kai series, he's actually dying in the, in the, uh, in the thing and they do a whole thing and he actually dies in the Cobra Kai thing in the series. And it's, it's emotional. I remember you tweeting about that series, and I go, "Do I check this out on YouTube?" And now I feel oh. like I have to. But oh my god, you were, rave, you were raving about it, and I was like, "Is he? Is he too close to the forest on this one?" No, <laughs> like I would be sitting at home going, "Is he really doing this?" Uh, no, not so only good. not only me and my son, but Shea Serrano, also a huge fan. All right, so, there you go. Okay, uh, I have. I, for- I, I also like the mom when they're at the restaurant after she lost her computer science job where he said it's up and coming. And then all of a sudden she's the hostess after waiting tables. Yeah. And then I remember reading some more of the backstory, which I don't think is in the actual movie, that part of the script. And I thought that was a really sincere, unique scene when she's like, do you have your eyes on anybody? And he goes, yeah, one. And then she's like hotter than Judy. And then Machio's like, Barry's Judy. And the mom is perfect. The line is delivered yeah. perfectly. Like Barry's Judy. And they do have these really sincere connections that, you know, not they don't always play out that well in a movie. So, you know, that, that's it's not like I'm going, hey, I want to watch the lunch scene ever over the fighting scenes. But I, I haven't watched a movie in a while. And those are just things that kept jumping out to me. She's, uh, I mean, she's beyond cute. But she's blonde, though, right? Yeah, she's got blonde hair. Lucille, let's go. Here they come. Is, no. she, uh, is she as pretty as Judy? Oh, my, she buries Judy in a second. She buries Judy? Uh, listen, you'll tell me about it later. I love you. Yeah, so I would say for what's age the best, probably the decision not to use the original ending. Because sometimes it's the things you cut out that make something great, whether it's a movie or a TV show or a column or a book, whatever. But that was really smart that they cut that out. What's age the worst? First eight minutes could have gone a little faster. It's like, we get it. He's moving from New York. Now he's at Reseda and there's not, the swimming pool doesn't work. Probably could have sped that up. The camo pants he mentioned. <laughs> um, the shock value of Arnold, we talked about the fact that Pat Morita is playing him. The douchey tennis country club parents, little over the top. Johnny wins the tournament before the crane kick. 
It's a what's age the worst to me. So from what we understand from the rules, the punch to the face that he lands on Danielson should have counted. I'm not sure why it didn't. And that would have been the third point. And uh, every time I watch this, I just get confused because the crane kick is a kick to the face. So a kick to the face gets you the winning point, but the punch to the face doesn't. I don't understand the score. And they also say at the beginning, he asks what the rules are and Allie tells him everything above the waist is a point. So I don't know why that didn't count. I don't know if you have any thoughts or we should just move on. I just get a little worried with you in scoring because after the Vision Quest thing, like I, I knew something was off when you were talking about the problems of the scoring. So I don't know if you've gone back and watched that, but there aren't. There aren't any problems with the scoring. Like there's a thing where there's a point added to for something else the other one happens so it looks like it jumps up on the screen the only thing that i know about the scoring for this one is that apparently somebody did like a full-blown doc on according to most karate tournament rules you can't do full power so that might be the uh oh it's a full power punch it's not it's legal a full power punch. okay maybe that so, makes sense then. but they've also argued that if you're talking full power on that kind of kick on a crane kick that danielson would also have been disqualified so I don't know what to make of that one other than we should probably all relax. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wrote this a while ago about Allie, why she would like Daniel. Here's what I wrote. Hey, this kid's five foot seven. He weighs a hundred pounds. He can't defend himself. He has no money, no car. We run in different social circles. His mom has to drive him on dates and everyone hates him. I think I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> I, why she likes Danielson is the mystery of this movie. It's it makes zero sense. Zero. None. There's no like I guess him trying to save the radio could be looked at as the heroic act, like Back to the Future, where you go, Why would McFly's mom ever like George McFly? And you go, Well, because you know, he was he was concussed outside and you know, she fell for him because he was he was sleeping off a concussion after he was peeping on her that she didn't know about. But she was already staring at him on the beach. That stare down yeah. fest on the beach goes it was for on. days. It goes for days. Yeah. Like she's just looking at him. But then again, here's what I would point out about Shu. Is she so much more attractive than her friends? So is she one of those girls that is actually kind of a loser because she doesn't have any other cool friends? Her friends constantly suck the whole movie. And she surrounds, she surrounds herself with lesser girls in high school to make herself stand out a little bit more. But then again, why would Zabka have dated her if she wasn't the it girl? So I'm really confused about the whole thing. And she already was into him before the radio chivalry act leading to an ass kicking. The other what's age the worst I have just, this is really age the worst, but in college, um, you know, I went to college during an era where it wasn't really a free for all um, from a romantic standpoint. There was real fear of AIDS and I went to an Irish Catholic college, probably a little less action than maybe people would be getting at the university of Arizona in 2005. Look, everybody thought every one of us thought we were getting AIDS back then. Yeah. We were just in constant just, fear. You, you were so worried about it all the time. So we used to make a lot of jokes about getting rebuffed, um, with paint the fence, wax on, wax off or sand the floor. And we actually did call one girl in our school, Mr. Miyagi. Cause it was like, there was just, it's just no way you're doing anything but kissing her. I would say that's age the worst. I'm throwing that out there. Uh, casting what ifs. So you're calling yourself out. For yeah, I'm nickname. calling myself out yeah. for what's age the worst. 
Casting what if recovery there. You mentioned uh, Ralph Macchio auditioned. The character was originally named Danny Weber. And as soon as he got the role, they changed it to LaRusso. But Macchio auditioned for Johnny. That was the role he wanted. He didn't want to play a good guy again. And they were like, no, no, you're going to be LaRusso. Uh, That's not happening. Thank Um, God. Oh, my gosh. Zabka said Robert Downey Jr. and Charlie Sheen were both considered for Danielson. Robert Downey Jr. is an interesting Danielson. I think I, I actually think that might be a better movie. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know that you could argue, you know, it's it's hard to say, hey, but he's so good, Downey Jr., that I would have loved to have seen whatever version of it. But I, I really think there's something unique there with with uh, Machio that makes this movie stand out more historically. I just do. I, I think he just, whatever the weird combination of all the different things we've been talking about here for an hour, I don't know that anybody would have pulled it off that way. Like, what if Downey Jr. were more likable? You know, he might have ended up being more likable, and then I'd be questioning whether or not Zabka was the bad guy the whole time. True. You're right. Downey, I think just because he's was such a fun actor back then and was having a lot of personal problems too, but um, could have taken it maybe in a different direction. Charlie Sheen, I don't see it all. I actually think he would have been better off as Johnny Lawrence. Totally. Yeah. Now. Others rumored, and who knows, this is really half-assed, but uh, Sean Penn, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, Anthony Edwards, Tom Cruise, Eric Stoles. The only ones we know for sure are Downey Jr. and Sheen. The, uh, the studio... Originally wanted Mr. Miyagi to be played by Toshira Mifuni. I forget how to say the last part, but famous Japanese action actor um, who was in the Seven Samurai and all kinds of things. And um, and don't and don't hate me because I said the name wrong. I don't know how to pronounce it. But um, I heard Bill Cosby for that role. Bill Cosby. Well, in this case, they wanted this guy to play it, but he didn't speak English, so they couldn't do it. Bill Cosby would have been. Uh, that would have been a what stage the worst. Crispin Glover was considered for Johnny, but the studio picked Zabka. And then uh, Helen Hunt and Demi Moore were considered for Allie. But Elizabeth Shue got it, and apparently partly because she was in this Burger King commercial that was uh, a huge deal right around the time when they were casting it. She was actually at Harvard at the time, so she took a leave of absence from school. For the mom... Valerie Harper, who used to be Rhoda on Mary Tyler Moore and was in a bunch of other things, was almost the mom, but then they went for Randy Heller, who played the mom. And then uh, and then Sarah Jessica Parker was supposed to play Allie's best friend, and for some reason it didn't happen. That would have been a fun wrinkle, because I the person who actually did play her best friend was never seen again. That would have added more depth to it, or it just would have been a little bit better. Like she she did a good job at being the annoying friend that hates you, but like everybody hates Hey, too. Maybe they were right. Maybe they were right, and she was wrong the whole time. I'd like to just set aside a minute or two on shoe. Yeah, I don't know what it is about her, but man, did we really love her back in the day? And yeah, I still sort of do. But then it feels weird to be like forty plus, and we're talking about a character playing a high school um, girl. But she just she had this thing that was different than everybody else. And for younger people listening right now, like that was. These were the hot girls for us growing up. Like, yes, there'd always be some topless scene in Police Academy that was just mandatory every 12 minutes. But this was like what we got. You guys got Megan Fox and Transformers where you're like, I don't even know. Like, I'm so awkward watching Megan Fox in that first Transformers. You're like, what is this? Yeah. And you add it to Euphoria where you're like, no, no, no. In the 80s, you know, even if she was low-key thick a little bit and, you know, sweats and whatever... She's just so nice. She's so nice that 
you just fall for. And every dude, you know, whether you were seven, eight to in high school, you fell for Elizabeth Shue because there was just something different about her. And it was even reinforced further in Cocktail. Although I do think in Cocktail, she got a little too upset with Cruz because I don't think they ever established anything verbally. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm ready to do that as a rewatchables. Whenever, uh, whenever you say the word, the uh, I'm with you. And again, like with the the mid '80s, that whole class. There's this movie called Secret Admirer with C. Thomas Howell, where he's he's in love with Kelly Preston who is probably the uh, LeBron James of that era for best looking movie ladies. And Lori Laughlin's his best friend. And she's another one. And then she went on to full house, but you know, we were so attached to some of these uh, actresses, Lisa Bonet and the Cosby show is another one that they, they, it's not like it is now where you can just go on Instagram or go on the internet and find a million people that you could have a crush on. We didn't, we didn't have a lot of options back then. Um, Next category is best that guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. So we mentioned Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds. He's Larry B. Scott. Happy Gilmore's grandma is the crazy old lady in the beginning. That is a classic that guy. Yeah, she lies about, like, I could tell you're from New Jersey. And then Machio goes upstairs and goes, hey, did you tell her she's from New Jersey? And be like, yeah. Like, okay, so now we have a chain-smoking liar downstairs. <laughs> right. And then... uh my pick for the winner, Randy Heller, who plays the mom, she is near and dear to my heart because she played Gabe Kaplan's wife in Fast Break, the most inappropriate sports movie of all time. Also one of my favorite movies. She played Ken Reeves' stripper girlfriend in The White Shadow. And she played Daniel Sun's mom in The Karate Kid. Wow. She was also later a lawyer in Melrose Place, another great show. Um, just her IMDb is all time. All time. It's like so that's like an eighties. It's like an eighties Gary Oldman. Like she's covering all the bases there. She's doing everything, all sorts of range. You do fast break, white shadow, karate kid in five years. I don't know. People talk about Meryl Streep. That's fine, <laughs> but but uh, that's pretty great. The uh, next category, the Vincent Hanna They Knew Award. Wait, can I just throw in one that guy? Yeah. Because Dutch is probably the most psychotic of all the Cobra Kai guys. Oh yeah, would you would you agree with that? Like well, Bobby, he's, he's Chad McQueen though. He's Steve McQueen's son. I, right, I that's feel like I was, he's not that guy. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. I don't know if enough people knew that. So go ahead. I have some Dutch moving. stuff coming later as, right. as this pod threatens to go two hours. Um, Chad McQueen is the first wave of troubled celebrity kids. So you go in there like uh, the kids from the late seventies, early eighties that are kind of going off the rails during the cocaine era. Um, I think he's he's in that in that mix of, and you can see it in his eyes. He's got that kind of a wild look in his eyes, um, real wild. The Vincent Hanna They Knew Award for Best Overacting. It's funny. I don't really feel like there's an incredible amount of overacting in this movie. I actually think the acting hits right notes. You could say maybe the scene when. Uh, when Miyagi's drunk. Sergeant Miyagi? Yes, sir. Sergeant Miyagi report to kill many German, sir. <laughs> and does the whole thing. But it, but some people feel like that was the scene that got him nominated for the Academy Award. Like, he definitely dials it up. But I don't really feel like there's an overacting moment. Do you? 
there's really nothing because all the Cobra Kai stuff makes sense. Like as, as animated as they are, especially during the tournament, like those are all the things that we love. So I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, Tommy poured it on a little too thick. Like Tommy's yeah. letting him have it. Maybe in the war, take a worm for a walk week, but that might be the line more than his delivery or anything else. Um, I think the fan, like her friends, shoes friends have a couple moments where it feels a little annoying, but there isn't really anything. And as far as Miyagi in the blacked out scene on his wedding anniversary, I do think it's like that's you know how drunk you have to be to be blacked out in front of a high school kid and offer him whiskey. <laughs> like, hey, what'd you do last night? Be like, oh, I texted that girl. Be like, oh, what happened? Be like, I don't know. I ordered like seven Steely Dan albums on iTunes. Be like, what did you do? Be like, oh, the high school kid who lives upstairs. I started asking him to pound Jim Beam with me, and he he put me to bed. Mm. <laughs> Let's uh, we'll take one more break, then we're gonna finish the categories. Let's take a break to talk about the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're still cranking out about 75% of the content that we had been doing. Rosillo, Cousin Sal, Dave Chang, Joe House's House of Carbs, JJ Reddick. You can find all of them there. I would also recommend uh, the Ringer Dish Podcast, where you can find me and my daughter talking about teen binge watch choices and TikTok this week, as well as Jam Session breaking down Taylor Swift versus Kim Kardashian. Uh, Tea Time talked about Cats on streaming and celebrity and self quarantine. We're also putting our survivor recaps every Thursday after the show airs on Ringer Dish as well. So we're really trying to get this feed going. I would urge you to check it out. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Podcast the uh, Ringer Dish. Okay, uh, this is a big one. This is one of the biggest Dion Waiters Award categories we've had. On the rewatchables. I think we've done 106, 107 episodes at this point. I've narrowed it down to three nominees, unless you want to go with uh, Tommy. Is Tommy eligible for this or no? Uh, your call. Your, your, your pod, your call. I'm going with the big three here. John Kreese. Ask leave boy alone to train. You're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? But I like that. I like that. All right. No one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Is that understood? Yes, Sensei! Who's really not in the movie that much. And every time he's in it, uh, his stats are huge. He probably plays 14 minutes off the bench here. I think he has a double-double. He hits two threes. I think he blocks three shots. Dutch, played by the aforementioned Chad McQueen, not in this movie a lot. He's the scariest out of all of them. He's the one that if there's ever a coup d'etat with Johnny Lawrence, Dutch is the guy who's leading it. If it ever turns into Lord of the Flies and somebody's got to take this, take Cobra Kai from Johnny, it's going to be Dutch. And Dutch is a kid that he has throwing stars like the good ones. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> and he's, he's the one that's the most unrealistic when he loses. As, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But when Danielson beats him, it actually just doesn't seem realistic. It seems it seems dumb. It seems like Dutch should have pulled a hamstring or something to actually make that better. But he also gets off the best line in the movie. His PER is out of the out of control. It's, you know, it's it's in the 30s. It's with Giannis in 2019, stuff like that. And then the third nominee, who doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion, the karate tournament announcer. That guy. The, the Daniel LaRusso is going to fight. Everything about this guy is fantastic. His his jacket, shirt, collar combination. He seems kind of drunk. It's unclear who he is. 
where did he come from? Is he like, <laughs> is he, is he the guy who owns the the car dealership that sponsors the tournament? Is he just somebody that loves karate? Like, who is he? Where did he come from? I'm giving it to him. I think he's incredible. He's incredible on the rehearsal. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. I remember one time I was doing one of those late NBA rap shows um, when I started doing a little bit more of that towards the end of my ESPN run. And, you know, I'd always be on the really late one or whatever. And I'd sit in the green room. I'd watch all these games. And then uh, Zubin Mahente was a big prep guy. He's like a real by-the-book anchor. He's, he's really good. And he's like, hey, Ryan, uh, fancy going over a little B-roll with me before we go out there live? And I was like, yeah, man, whatever. We'll look at some B-roll, some stats. So I was like, all right, you know, show's on the screen there, but you can see the rotation in the corner. And like, that's kind of the read there. And it's something this guy does really, really well. But, all right. Yeah, yeah. No, Lillard's been on fire. Like he's actually leading all point guards and scoring and, and shooting over 50% from three. And if we do like two of them and he turns to me, he goes, is that a, is that the energy level we're going to have with you out there, out there on the set? I was like, no, he goes, don't worry about it. I go, I'm just... I'm just getting my beats down, and when we go out there, it's going to be showtime. Don't you worry about this guy yeah. over here. And went out there, had a great show. He's like, okay. He goes, I get it. I get it now. When you watch the rehearsals of the MC, the MC makes a few mistakes or whatever, but he's kind of smiling as he's reading off of the script and everybody's sitting around. The rehearsal stuff is so cool. And then once you see him in the actual tournament, the red light goes on, and that guy crushes it. And it does kind of look like a guy that may have been an extra on Hee Haw, and how he got involved in junior martial arts, I don't know. But I love that he's a part of it, and I love that it's a passion for him. So we're giving it to him. I think he's the call. I don't think he is, though. Because if Tommy's Tommy's not eligible, then Dutch? Now, Dutch is just, he's just not in it enough. Um, All right, so Crease. It sounds like you want to give it to Crease. I got to give it to Crease over the MC. Because Crease, Crease is... You're so right. Go back when when people watch it after listening to this, you're gonna go, God, he's barely in this movie. <laughs> he's what got four scenes? Three? The guy, the guy who's the announcer, I'm not even sure is on IMDB because nobody knows who he is. Is it, is it I, I don't even know who it is. Can't There's that you. one rehearsal when they do the full tournament where they shoot a full rehearsal and the ref acts like it's serious the whole time. Um, and I, I really, I can't express enough how impressive these kids are doing this. Oh, like I the found amount him. of work that they put it I, in. Yeah, I found and he's him. around. Nice. It's Bruce Malmuth. It's Jim Hacksaw Duggan. Bruce Malmuth tragically passed away in 2005. Oh. But uh, he was also the, the announcer in uh, oh, Karate Kid 2, just because they were using the same thing. He was in Lean On Me as the burger joint manager. And he was in Pentathlon playing Earhart. So there you go. He was in seven movies. All right. So we'll, we'll give it. I think you're right. We should give it to Crease. But I, you could have talked me into the karate announcer. The recasting couch. Mentioned it earlier. But I think Sarah Jessica Parker or somebody like that as Allie's best friend would have made a lot more sense. I, I do feel like she should have had one at least semi-smoking hot friend. Because if, if all those... Cobra Kai uh, biker gang people are going to be hanging out with these girls. There's got to be somebody for for Dutch to make a run at. And yeah, because Dutch, Tommy, Bobby, they'd all yeah. be like her again. They'd be like, "Come on, yeah, Johnny, come your on. friends suck." Bring bring Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, Half ass internet research. We hit a lot of this, but um, 
the backstory of the movie is writer Robert Mark Kamen was approached by Columbia to com- to basically rip off Rocky because they signed John Avildsen and Jerry Weintraub had optioned a news article about the young child of a single mother who had earned a black belt to defend himself against the neighborhood bullies. So they were like, go to work. Ryan, you're a writer. You get instructions like this. You kind of just go off, right? You're like, here are my instructions. All right, I'll go figure this out. Yeah, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Cruel Summer came out in 1983, but when it hit the crowd, it it had a resurgence, made the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 number nine in 1984. Ralph Macchio still has the yellow car that he got in the movie. They gave it to him. He kept it, still has it. A 1948 Ford Super Deluxe Club Convertible. Not as expensive as you would have thought online. You can get it for like 20 grand. I'm not sure it runs very well. But I still don't know how Miyagi ended up with like seven or eight of these things. Yeah, back in the day, they definitely, uh, it's a little suspicious. He might have had a dark moment where he was uh, bootlegging cars or something was going on. So the scene where he drinks too much that a lot of people think helped win him an Oscar nomination. Uh, the producers wanted to cut it because the movie was over two hours and uh, Avildsen fought to keep it and it got kept. In the oral history, there's this weird thing where Chad McQueen says, quote, he's talking about Macho. He says, I never really talked to Ralph. If I did, I'd say something nasty. I don't know if there was a McQueen Macho thing. I don't know what that was. It just was kind of out of nowhere. You mentioned uh, there were two additional scenes that deepened the Daniel-Johnny conflict, which they actually shot, and then they cut for pacing reasons and because they wanted to build up suspense. One of them was the one you mentioned earlier about Daniel-san sits on a blueberry pie that Johnny puts under his chair right as he's about to sit down with uh, Allie for lunch. Daniel sits in it, gets up, he's mad, he takes the pie, he smears it in Johnny's face. They have a whole fight in the cafeteria. That was taken out. And then uh, there's another one where he's getting a drink at the water fountain, lifts up, and Johnny's right there, and they ha- they go at it again. So they cut both of those. And he hands him, uh, he says, you got to sign this. And he's like, what is it? It's like, it's a death certificate. And oh. yeah, and what I do kind of like about that, where it may have been a little depth to the whole thing, is Machio just goes, hey, do you, do you think you might be wrong? Like, you can kick my, he basically says in the script that was cut, he's like, you can kick my ass seven days a Sunday, so we get that. He's like, but do you ever think that maybe you're wrong? And Johnny's like, what? You know, like who's, you know, <laughs> right. and Machio's like showing some real maturity here. Machio's like, you're your teacher. So he's talking about Crease. And then he's like, don't you mention my sensei, you asshole. <laughs> I so, would have rather had that scene in there than the extra five minutes of, of Machio remodeling Miyagi's house. I don't know. It's just me. The, the remodel scene is, it's incredibly long, but. I think they're trying to make sure, like, yes, this seems a bit of a stretch that all of a sudden this kid's going to start beating everybody up in a real karate tournament. So let's have him sand the floors for five more minutes. I I imagine that's kind of what they were doing. The mosquito catching, in case you're wondering how they did that, a crew member stood out of frame dangling a fishing wire with a fake fly at the end of it. So there you go. If you thought Machio actually caught the fly, nope, didn't catch it. It was, was, now they would just CGI it. I've been trying it all morning. You're saying he never caught it? No, never caught it. What a waste of time. Machio thought the title was corny. He fought to change it. They didn't listen to him. Thank God. 
You mentioned Pat Johnson, the referee, who was also the martial arts choreographer. He says in that oral history, he'd been in martial arts since 1963, was sent to Korea with the U.S. Army, learned Tang Soo Do, a Korean form of karate, came back to the States, started training with Chuck Norris, got involved a little bit in the Hollywood stuff. Zabka said, we worked five days a week, four hours a day for the month before we shot. Then every day after that, they'd roll out gymnastic mats on the set. Apparently, Zabka had never done martial arts at all before the movie, but he was an accomplished wrestler. And after the movie, continued karate and became a second degree green belt. But, uh, but hard to believe he wasn't in Vision Quest. If he was an accomplished wrestler, I don't know what they were thinking there. He could have been like Shoot's buddy or something. Zabka's, um, um, let, let, I'll just jump this in here because I could talk about him for the entire two hours. But when you watch his feet, I don't know what he did growing up, but he's a sick athlete. Yeah. Like the way he moves and glides around and then he's doing some of the rehearsal stuff with um, Vidal and he goes to throw like this scissor kick that's that's not really easy to do because you kind of set it up lower and then you finish it off up higher and snap it across a guy's head. But it's part of like the way you set it up. It's almost like a feint with your leg. And then you have to be flexible enough to get it up to actually have it hit somebody in the face. Like there's some people that can do it and you don't get it up that high. And he does. Like in the rehearsal, he throws it. It's pretty tight. And then he he gets it up high enough and you just go this. I was so impressed with him in his athleticism that I don't think it gets enough credit. There you go. You just gave it credit. He, I mean, his, his footwork's like Barry Sanders. It really is. Like the Matt stuff, I'm like, who is this guy? So there's some product placement in this that Macchio is pissed off about because Columbia was owned by Coca-Cola, which wanted their, their products on screen. And there's an orange juice scene where they have to say Minute Maid in the breakfast scene. And then uh, he's holding- <laughs> That's his- right. He's holding a Sprite at one point. Macho is showing it for the shortest amount of time possible. So look out for that. Daniel's number 89 jersey. You know whose jersey that was? Greg Kittle. It was a replica of a Chargers jersey, a West Chandler. So there you go. And then uh, here's what Elizabeth Shue said in the oral history about having to wear a bathing suit in the beach scene. Quote, I remember having to wear a bathing suit for that scene, which was a big deal because I felt so uncomfortable. When we started filming, I was given a trainer and asked to stay in shape. Once the beach scene was shot, I went back to eating whatever I wanted. Watch. I slowly gained weight throughout the rest of the movie. So those are her words. Leave I, noticed. I, I noticed. I <laughs> noticed. And then we mentioned Daryl Vidal, who um, was Pat Morita's double for basically anything cool that you see Pat Morita doing in this movie. So there you go. Apex Mountain. This is easy. Ralph Macchio, yes. Pat Morita, yes. Every single person in Cobra Kai, plus Martin <laughs> Cove, yes. John Avildsen, no, because I think Rocky is his apex mountain. The town of Reseda, I'm going to say yes. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, I've had some soccer games there. I've had some baseball games there. Uh, pretty nondescript town in the Valley, but it's now known as the Karate Kid Town. The All Valley Karate Tournament, uh, no question, yes. And uh, Cruel Summer, Bananarama, yes. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, probably no. I would say winning the Oscar. No, no. Elizabeth Shue, she's the only no. High school biker gang slash ninjas, yes. Yeah. Red, red, weird red jackets between that and the thriller video with Michael Jackson. Kind of expensive red leather seeming jackets. I would say that was uh, for that. And then 
those mid-80s arcades that have a whole bunch of stuff with golf and everything else. Yes. So there you go. Okay. Picking nits. We've mentioned a lot of these. Uh, the soccer tryouts. Still unclear why Daniel was just banished from the team. I can understand. Get out of here. Come back tomorrow. I don't understand. Like it's it's like a run our test David Stern thing where it's just like you're out. You're gone for the year. Like he never gets to try it again. Even this soccer was his thing. He's out. Does he get to play high school soccer? No, that was it. That was absolutely it. Uh, I'm. I felt like it was quick, but I feel like Machio Duri made a little bit of a name for himself. Like, hear about this new Italian get his ass kicked in the beach going after shoe. <laughs> Uh, like yeah he's the skinny one that doesn't pass all right i'll have my eye on him another picking nits why couldn't mrs larusso just get her car fixed it just seemed like there was something wrong with the starter how hard was this just take it to the shop just fix the starter look hey man some of us are living you know check to check back in the day it should fix the starter it's ten dollars i don't know it's new place mechanics although if miyagi can heal bones and everything else why couldn't he take a look at it yeah take the car to miyagi what the hell Miyagi's like the car guy. Actually, that now that I think about it, of all the things that don't make any sense in the entire storyline is her not having Miyagi look at the starter. Terrible job by her. Um, the first time Daniel-san makes out with Allie in the... Uh, at the arcade? When they make up, he, he, there's some flirting. He goes for the kiss. And then he starts eating her face. It's awful. It starts out as a normal kiss. And then he starts trying to devour her top lip like he's a zombie. And it is one of the weirdest things. My kids think this is the funniest part of the movie. My son my son goes nuts every time. He thinks it's hilarious. Like, why is he doing that, Dad? Is that how people, is that how people kiss? I'm like, no, don't ever kiss anyone that way. Uh, having your lip eaten by Ralph Macchio, underrated horrible. Uh, I feel bad for her. I can't imagine how horrified she was as it was happening. And uh, and that's all I got. Any other picking nits for you? I just need to add to that, that it's so bad that I was convinced after the movie, I go, that means Ralph Macchio is a bad kisser in real life. Right? I mean, like, you would no, think. Who wants to take the other side? Like, he can't say, oh, no, that's just my, that's my Daniel LaRusso kiss. Like, well, no, no I think that's the move, though. If you're Ralph Macchio, you're like, look. I just felt like LaRusso, like he's an awkward kid. Maybe he doesn't know how to kiss somebody. So I just decided to attack her upper lip. That would be incredible, though, if that's his defense and he's actually a terrible kisser. Best quote. We've mentioned all of them except for a man who can catch fly with chopsticks can do anything. Hey, wouldn't a fly swatter be easier? Man who catch fly with chopsticks accomplish anything. I still think the best quote in the entire movie, my personal favorite is uh, "What's the matter, mommy? Not here to dress you." But I think either sweep the leg or get him a body bag were were the two that lived on. Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? I still, even thirty six years later, is something you could just um, drop in anything. People know what it is. Next category: Could this be remade as a ten episode Netflix show? Uh, this is the all-time example of yes, because they did it and it worked and they figured out a really smart way to do it. And I highly recommend Cobra Kai, the TV show. Okay. I have a lot of probably unanswerable questions and then hopefully we can get this done in the next 10 minutes. I don't, but just let me just add this. I just don't see Billy Zabka or Johnny in this case, the character of Johnny never leaving Reseda. 
Like that guy ends up going to a good school, comes back, tells you how sick the parties are, and then like is on his second wife on Wall Street, like at forty five. I think that's why you need to watch the Cobra Kai TV series. Okay, so it, right, it kind of lays this out. Yeah. All right. You know what? I, I made a mistake there because I'm talking about something I don't know anything about. So go ahead. Well, that was my first unanswerable question. What colleges did Daniel and Johnny go to? I have a and Allie, let's throw her into. I had Daniel a smaller school near LA. I was thinking like University of Laverne. Um Cal Fullerton. Probably wanted to be within driving distance of Miyagi. Yeah, Cal Cal Fullerton's another good one. He, Miyagi's the only friend he's really ever gonna make it his entire life. So he at least wants to be able to see him on the weekends. I have Allie going to USC and I have Johnny is the all time definitely went to Duke. I don't think there's any way he didn't go to Duke. He was definitely there. He was friends with, uh, with during the late eighties, probably friends with Mark Allery, maybe Christian Leitner is Leitner there in time. Yeah. Leitner's there. I think Allery's gone by then. I think Allery was on that. Oh, maybe Allery's gone. Whoever the white guys were in the late. Oh, Danny Ferry, Danny Danny Ferry and Johnny Lawrence were super close. Ferry's like maybe roommates. Yeah, he's like Johnny. You got to bring me back to L.A. He's like, no problem, bro. <laughs> hey, man, I got these dudes. We like to get on uh, on mopeds and ride forty minutes to the beach wearing red jackets. Here's here's what I think happens with Shu though. I think she goes to Wisconsin and then transfers back to USC. Oh, interesting. She's like, you know, she's like, oh, uh, maybe she goes to someplace smaller though. Maybe she goes to like Wheaton college in mass and play soccer. And then says, now what? I want to go back to the West coast. This cold thing is awful. I don't know that Larusa. I keep saying Larusa. Larusso is, um, is a good student though. There's a really good chance the day he's carried off. That's the peak of his life. Cause there's a bunch of <laughs> other signs, you know, there's, I don't even know if he's getting into Cal state Fullerton. I, I'm going to guess that kid's not a good student. Maybe junior college for him. What happened to Freddie Fernandez after the beach fight? But until the tournament, because we never see him again. Is he just kind of avoiding Danielson at every step in high school? Is there a yeah. scene that they cut out? Do we know he's in high school? Oh, good point. I thought they saw him at high school. I, I think he's, we see him one more time. He makes fun of Danielson and then they, they keep going. So I don't know. I, I, the Freddie Fernandez arc, I felt like was unexplored. Um, when they knock Daniel off the hill, when they when he's riding his bike and the five guys show up behind him and they basically he veers off goes down the hill and almost dies technically is that attempted murder <laughs> <laughs> like why is it not attempted murder i guess is my question yeah where are the cops in this the cops aren't part of any of this which i do kind of like in some of these movies where you go hey just allow us to tell the story and there's never going to be a cop on the scene anywhere to get in the mix um attempted murder on that one possible I mean, he could have gone to the police. It would have made him seem like an even bigger wuss, but he could have done it. But that was early. Like, that might be the only time I thought. I was like, okay, that was a little unprovoked. Like, that's that's where even I'll admit that Cobra Kai may have been at fault. Yeah. Mrs. LaRusso's job with Rocket Computers, did it include equity? And had it had worked out, would she eventually become a multimillionaire? Unanswerable question. Because you're moving your family from Newark to Reseda. Like, there's got to be some upside. There has to be equity. You and your son. Like, you have to get, (laughs) get like, half a point or something. How dumb of a move is the crane kick, in your opinion? And how many people have gotten their asses kicked trying it over the last 36 years? Thousands. You you think thousands would be the answer? 
Okay. Just because even though like I'm having it, I think that's low over 30 years that a thousand guys have tried the crane kick because I'm sure a bunch of guys tried it immediately. So it's probably in a couple thousands, but like anybody, if you're going to pull that stuff out in an actual fight, like you better be good at it because if you do that and then lose, it's way worse than just getting beat up. Daryl Vidal, in one of the things written about this movie, talks about like what a bogus karate move that actually is. And like if somebody did that, you would just charge them because they're off balance. That, you know, the the way the big tactical error for Johnny Lawrence is instead of charging him, he kind of just he get he gets confused by it and just kind of walks forward a little bit and is just in striking distance of it. If he had just run forward at Daniel San, Daniel San would have been off balance, he would have knocked him over. Could Miyagi's massage technique have saved Kevin Durant in the 2019 playoffs? In your opinion, <laughs> game three. Yes, yes. There's no, there's no debate. Next That's topic. how I feel, too. I feel like this guy was way too special to be in some shack with some bonsai trees and some extra shower curtains. No question. I think he's the Alex Guerrero of the, uh, of the mid-80s. I have two more. These are my two favorites for probably an answerable. First one. What was Dutch's first name? Because you see, well, you see, they do the scoreboard or not the score, like the big board where they have all the names that advance and it's all last names. So I feel like his name might've been like George Dutch or Bobby Dutch or Frank Dutch. So it says Dutch on the board. It says Dutch on the board and it's all last names for everybody but him. Like it says Lawrence, not Johnny. It says LaRusso, not Daniel, so on and so on. But then it says Dutch. So that makes me think Dutch was his last name. Bob Dutch? Alex Dutch? Kenny Dutch? Kenny Dutch? Ken Dutch? Or maybe just Dutch? It's like Nene. He just had one name. I don't know. Yeah. Well, like, who are you? If you're in high school and you're trying to go Brazilian superstar, that's a tough move to pull off. Yeah. But if anyone could have done it, it's Dutch. And then this is my big one. Miyagi offers Daniel, it's like, it's your 16th birthday. Here's my present. Not that I haven't done enough for you already. You're my only, I'm your only friend. I saved you from getting killed by five biker guys. Um, I've taught you karate and how to defend yourself. I'm also going to give you a car for your 16th birthday. I have these six beautiful antique cars outside. You can pick anyone you want. Danielson takes the best car. And then we freeze framed it, me and my son. And we actually like, like studied all the cars. It's, it's the convertible out of all of them. I think it's the, it's the best, biggest convertible. There's only two convertibles in the back. Nice color. Like, do you take, do you take the best car? Or are you like so grateful this guy's offering a car? You'd be like, Oh, I don't want to take the best car. I'll take like the third best car. Cause it's such a nice gesture by you. But Daniel San, cause he's a fucking dick. It's like, oh, I'll take the best one. I'll take that yellow convertible. Give me, I'll take your A1 car. I'm going to take the best one. Thanks, Mr. Miyagi. What a dick. Yeah, I mean, if there were, if Macho was living, or LaRusso were living in the virus right now, he'd, he'd definitely be outside, shirts off, high-fiving people while he jogged. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's on the strand right now having drinks with like three of his buddies saying it can't happen to us, and who cares if it does? Yeah, no. Uh, but you know what? I think there is a, a zag. You know, you guys are sitting there saying he shouldn't have taken the nicest car. Uh, he did just fix up the guy's entire property for free. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I would have taken the second best car. That sand the floor shit? Like, really? 
I'm finished sanding here. Like, what grid are we working with here? Are we doing a, a, a 20 and then a 50? Because that sucks. And then he's double checking it. And by the way, how are you supposed to sand the seams and the edges with the sand the floor move? Like, you're going to have to go up down a little bit there. So uh, there are more efficient ways to teach martial arts. But it wasn't quite the lesson, wasn't it? I think if you're taking the yellow car, you at least ask. I think you bring it up. You're like, look, that yellow car is fucking awesome. But is it cool if I take that one? Can you can you give me a sign off? No, he's just like, I'm going to take the yellow one. Give me the fucking case. Thanks, Miyagi's Mr. Miyagi. place was Miyagi's place was nice. The interior there really. I've was. always wondered. I've always wondered if I'd like a kind of Japanese finishings at one of my places. Something to think about down the road after after uh, one of your movies takes off. Um, who won the movie? Is a really tough one. I I I actually would accept cases for Pat Morita, Ralph Macchio, and William Zabka. I just think that Zabka's staying power on this one is beyond anything anyone could have ever expected. And apparently, when I remember I first started talking about him on the radio show, this was probably I don't know ten years ago. Not that that was super original, but we get emails to the show. And wherever Zabka lives now, I don't know if he still lives out here, but guys would say, hey, I ran it. They, everybody had like a Billy Zabka story and how if you ran into him and asked him about it, he loved talking about it. And, yeah. But it was like in the coolest way. Like he was really, he got the deal. Hey, that's what I'm known for. If you guys are having beers and you want me to tell a couple stories, like I'll tell it. And then it keeps it moving. And I've watched interviews with him. I even found one from last year. He seems like an unbelievably like grounded kind of cool guy. Like I'm never pretending to know somebody that I don't know, but he has done better with it than so many other people that have these kind of white hot flashes of success to never be seen from again. And he's just sort of like, yeah, man, that's kind of what my deal was, I guess. But I don't, I don't know a lot about him. So I, I don't want to be acting like I do. Also unclear why he wasn't a bigger star. Cause I thought he was really good. I, I wonder if he got pigeonholed by being the eighties movie villain and couldn't break out of it. You know, like almost like Anthony Michael Hall got pigeonholed by being the eighties movie nerd, couldn't break out of it. And that was it when he, when, you know, he wrote, ripped off like a really, really great four year run, but nobody could see him as anything other than the nerd. Maybe that was the same thing that happened to Zabka. I think we give it to Zabka. I think in the moment you gave it to Macho or, or Pat Morita, but I think as the years have passed, I think Zabka won the movie. He's the best, he's the best part of it. And it's the, in a weird way, the hardest part because it could have gone wrong in so many different ways. So anyway, all right, we did it. No, I want to add one last thing, though, because we hadn't touched on it. Sorry. Elizabeth Shue wins the movie because Machio's so stupid that he's like, okay, I have this shower costume. She's still into me, despite how weird I'm being. And she wants to go outside. So instead of like, you know, I'm going to go get my ass kicked again. So my guess would be Shue wins the movie in a way, too, because she avoided going outside to hook up with Machio and who knows where that would have gone. <laughs> yeah, but I good do point. know that I do know that Machio, when she goes to Wisconsin or wherever, and even if she transfers back and the mom is like, look, I know things haven't worked out for you, Daniel, but you should go visit her at USC. And then she's dating like Matt Leinert's older brother. And it's just, I don't know if he has a real older brother, but like, there's no way that Daniel doesn't face massive depression. Those first few years out of, out of high school, because the shoe thing is not going to work out. The beginning of Cry to Kid too. She just dumps him. We never even see her. She's like, I'm out. She she's like, What was I doing with this guy? What a loser. So there you go. All right, I I vote for Zabka. 
I can't believe we got an hour 45 out of this. It was almost as long as the movie. Ryan Rosillo, this was as much of a pleasure as I thought it would be. Thank you. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks to State Farm. Thanks to Rosillo. Thanks to the Greater Boston Food Bank. Thanks for having me. Glad we could help. Don't forget to check out feedingamerica.org. We will have two rewatchables next week. And if you want to get ready for the first one, it's going to be Fast 7, me and Shea Serrano. The five-year anniversary is coming up. The most emotional ending of any movie that was geared toward action movie fans and guys specifically uh, that has ever happened. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Watch it over the weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Fast set. Until then. <laughs>